Hello, and welcome to Unsheathed with your hosts, Kyle Gold and Cam Hirosaki. We hope that you enjoy the program. Please stick around afterwards. There'll be cake and blowjobs. Hi, and welcome to Unsheathed Presents. I'm Kyle Gold, wishing you all the very best of the holiday season. We're going to read a couple of stories here for you all to entertain you during the season. And as always, I must warn you that the stories contain explicit descriptions of sexual activity, mostly male-male. I'm not going to say 100% because I don't recall exactly, but I think it's a pretty fair bet. So if that's not the sort of thing you want to get you into the Christmas spirit, then perhaps you'd better skip and go to the knot class for the week or something. Miracle on 34th Sheath by Kyle Gold I just don't understand how you can say foxes give better head. The young pronghorn tilted his head to one side. I mean, herbivores got a running start on any carnivore. I didn't say foxes give better head, Martique said, leaning his chair back and letting his bushy red tail swing free. I said I do. Regardless, Victor pressed on. You got that narrow muzzle, those sharp teeth. He traced the curve of his jaw. See? Wider, flatter teeth? You can't compete. Martique shrugged. Is that what Shannon told you? Victor blew a snort. It's been more than just him. Not that I'm proud of it. Of course you're not. Martique signaled the waiter for the check. Because you suck at sucking. Listen, Victor said, leaning forward. I know I'm better than you. How? Martique grinned. Sucked yourself off for comparison? Ha ha. Victor folded his arms. I can get enough action that I don't need to do that. Martique looked around the small cafe. I swear the waiters just hang out and back and smoke. I don't need to do it either, he said. I just like to. Keeps me in practice. How can you tell if you're any good if you can't practice on yourself? It was rhetorical, of course. Martique and Victor had discovered the joys of a well-applied tongue at about the same age, but barely a year later, the same hormones that gave them such joy also pushed Victor's horns further out of his head. After a certain age, he wasn't able to give himself head without also giving himself a set of painful puncture wounds in the thigh. Martique, on the other paw, had continued his self-serving ways into adulthood, and he never let Victor forget it. "'You can tell,' Victor said, "'by the guys who keep asking you to come back and do it again.' I suppose, Martique said, if you have to wait for them to come back. What is that supposed to mean? Victor asked. But just then the waiter finally came by, left the check on the table, and strolled back to the kitchen. Martique reached into his pocket and pulled out a twenty. I got this, he said. You got last time. Seriously, Victor said. What, you mean you just go around offering to blow people again and again? Martique pulled his muzzle back in a sly grin. I mean that the guys who ask me aren't only coming back, he stood up. They're just coming. Victor followed him outside. The antelope threw a scarf around his neck and came up alongside the fox as he was raising his collar. You do not just have random people coming up to you asking for blowjobs. The fox raised an eyebrow. Follow me around some night. You are so full of shit, Victor said. He walked down the street with Martique at his side. So what are you bringing to the party tomorrow night? Uh, my retro 80s holiday mix. I thought we were supposed to bring snacks. Martique flipped his ears to the side. I can't cook, but I can make killer dance CDs. How communist of you. The fox laughed. 
Don't you know, Santa Claus is a communist, wears a red suit. What? Victor waved his hands. Anyway, just because you're good at something doesn't necessarily mean other people want it. They stopped at a Salvation Army Santa. Martique dug in his pocket for a dollar. Is this about your cocksucking again? He raised an eyebrow and a corner of his muzzle. You are really hung up on that, aren't you? Victor tried out a smirk of his own, edging away from the Santa, a tall reindeer who was grimacing, clearly trying not to listen to them. Martique dipped his muzzle, lifting his eyebrow still further. I'm not the one who's so hung up on whether I'm good or not that I project my insecurities to the entire species. He patted on, Victor following. Do you have to do that right in front of them? Victor asked as they rounded the corner to his apartment. Martique shrugged. Of course not, but I want to donate and at the same time have fun with the homophobic fuckers, so that's my compromise. If they don't want my money, they're free to tell me to fuck off. Oh, for goodness sake, Victor snorted. All right, I'm going to head up. Feel like playing rock band tonight, or do you have a full evening of cocksucking lined up? Martique's tail wagged. The cocks can wait, he said. I wouldn't let down the band. The subject didn't die, though, even as they made their way through their usual repertoire. Victor put down the guitar after their favorite flashlight corner song. Nice job. Martique, 100% vocals. The golden throat, the fox replied with a leer, and silver tongue. Gilliam, the black-footed ferret who played drums, snorted. The amount of advertising you do, you'd think you were in business. Martique winked. You accusing me of false advertising? Hell no, the ferret grinned. Wait, wait, Victor had been queuing up their next song. You blew him? Martique flopped down on the couch, grinning at Gilliam, who at least ducked his head in a semblance of embarrassment. It was after you left, one night. No big deal. No big... You did it here? No, no, at my place, Gilliam shrugged. No need to get all worked up over it. Why didn't you tell me? Martique grinned. Because we knew you'd get all worked up over it. Victor put the guitar down. Okay, I'm done. Oh, don't get like that, Gilliam stood from the drum set. It's not about that, Victor headed for the kitchen. It's late, that's all, and I, I'm tired. See, now you've done it. You're going to have to let him blow you, Martique said. Victor turned back, hands on his hips. I told you, it's not about that. Gilliam spread his paws. If it'll make you feel better, sure, you can. But you're not asking me to, Victor said. He thinks he's better than me, but he's insecure about it, Martique said from the couch, spreading his arms across the back. I think it's because of Wagner. It has nothing to do with Wagner, Victor shot back. What happened with Wagner? Gilliam looked from one of them to the other. Victor lowered his head and scratched at one horn. Nothing. He told Victor I was better, the silly bunny, Martique yawned. I told him not to, but you know how he is. He gets a thought so rarely that he has to tell everyone the moment it happens. Nobody else has said you were better. Victor took a step into the room. Which is why you have to let him blow you, Martique said to Gilliam, waving a paw. So you can tell him too. Oh, look, I don't want to get in the middle of this. Gilliam sat down behind the drum set. Let's just keep playing. Martique snickered. Never seen someone so reluctant to get a blowjob. He stood up with the microphone and opened his muzzle wide, sticking the mic inside. He closed his eyes. Om, om, om. Cut that out. You're going to ruin it. Victor strode over and grabbed the mic away. He held it awkwardly and then laughed, pushing Martique in the shoulder. Asshole. Anyway, it goes like this. He opened his mouth and slid the microphone along his tongue.
Oh, and that's not going to ruin it? Martique grabbed the mic back. Don't show off your technique or Gil won't let you near his cock. They turned to the ferret, who was watching them with a slight tilt to his muzzle. He coughed and adjusted his pants. Actually, uh, that's kind of hot. Martique held up the mic. Seriously? He chuckled. Okay, I'm going to go grab a coffee down at Starbucks. You boys have fun. I'll be back in 20. He dropped the mic on the table and sauntered toward the door, tail waving behind him. Victor started to say, Don't be an ass. But halfway through, he felt the tingle of possibility and stopped. Gilliam was watching him, waiting for him to say something. Look, he said, If you don't want to, we can just say we did. The ferret grinned. We got 20 minutes. Victor grinned back. Okay, get on the couch. Within a minute, Gilliam was sprawled back on the couch, his pants open, Victor looking at his sheath. As the ferret had hinted, he was already excited, showing pink at the top. It didn't take many licks for the full length to show itself, by which point Victor had to hold down the ferret by the thighs because he was starting to squirm all over the couch, making cute little squeaking noises. The antelope opened his mouth and took in the ferret's tip, which, oddly, made Gilliam go completely still and gasp. A moment later, he was twisting harder than before, bucking off the couch and into Victor's mouth. Victor held him, squeezing the warm shaft between his lips and pressing his long tongue against it, wondering if this was the climax. He didn't taste anything, so he kept going and Gilliam didn't tell him to stop. As the ferret contorted himself more and more frantically, Victor leaned more of his weight into restraining his motion, still pumping his muzzle up and down. He enjoyed the muscles forced into quivering submission below him, their occasional jerks and spasms, and the movement of the tight, hot shaft against his lips and tongue. When Gilliam did come, finally, there was no doubt about it. He squeaked, Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God! And his whole body arched into the air, paws straining against the couch to hold himself up. Victor felt the warm spurts in his mouth, tasted mustelene musk on his tongue, and sucked as hard as he could. By the time Martique came back, Gilliam had pulled his pants up and returned to his chair by the drum set. Victor lounged on the couch, pretending to strum the fake guitar. Martique flicked his ears, eyebrows raised. Well? He was very appreciative, Victor said with a smug smile. Martique shrugged. Of course he was. He's a weasel. Every time they come, it's like, OMG, best thing ever. Gilliam folded his ears down. Thanks, guys. So, Victor said, who was better? The weasel shrugged. They were both good, he said. Don't be a Nance, Martique said. Pick a side. Well, yours was so long ago. Fox laughed. If you want another one, just ask me flat out. Gilliam grinned. Okay, will you? Ha, huh, no. The weasel rolled his eyes. Fine, then Victor was better. Oh, please. Martique picked up the mic. Let's just play. Victor picked up the guitar and walked over to stand next to Martique. He bumped the fox. Told you, he said. Oh, bitch, Martique said as Gilliam selected a song. This ain't over. The two of them sat around Victor's dining room table after Gilliam had left, sipping coffee. So what do you propose if Gilliam isn't good enough to decide? Random person-on-the-street interviews? Martique added more sugar to his coffee and took another sip. I really don't understand your need to have your inferiority proven in some kind of contest. Victor leaned forward, grinning. Then why are you afraid to participate? Afraid? Martique blew a very pronghorn-like snort. Sweetheart, the only thing I'm afraid of is bruising your ego to the point that you become a recluse, shunning all intimate contact for fear of not measuring up to your current flames past flames. You're delicate. I worry about you. 
You're so full of shit, I can't believe you're not constantly in the john. Victor sipped his coffee. Bathroom humor. How very sixth grade of you. It's not, Victor scowled. Don't change the subject. How are we going to settle this? Martique shrugged. We could do each other and then ourselves. Oh no, wait, you can't. I forgot. Bite me. The fox grinned. That would definitely not happen. Okay, how about this? Victor leaned over the table. The party tomorrow. How many people does McMenever usually have there? Fifty? Hundred? Don't know, Martique said. How many gay boys are there in Port City? I'd say most of them. All right. Most of the guys we've done will probably be there, right? We'll match up at the party. Whoever gets more cocks in his mouth at the party wins. Martique laughed. At McMenever's party? Honey, why not just kneel down at 17th and Chester with your mouth open? You'd get the same action and you wouldn't miss a lovely party. Afraid you won't be able to convince many of them to come back for a second round? Victor lifted the mug to his lips, eye on the fox. Martique tapped the table and then grinned. What the hell? If it'll get you to shut up about it. Victor extended a hand. Martique took it in his paw and shook. And ex-boyfriends count, the pronghorn said. You planning to look up Shannon? Victor waggled his eyebrows. Maybe I'll look up at him. Oh, for heaven's sake, Martique stood up. If I had any ex-boyfriends, I wouldn't blow them after we broke up. It's just bad taste. But you go ahead and suck off your horsey, and I'll just have to find someone actually attractive to make up for it. He was hot, Victor said. That wasn't the problem. The problem? You're narrowing it down to one? Victor's smile faded a bit. It wasn't all him, he mumbled. Martique walked around the table and brushed Victor's cheek rough. Honey, it was mostly him. It's not like your terrible blowjobs drove him away. Fuck off, Victor said. I'm just preparing you so you don't get let down so hard tomorrow night. I'm going to go down so hard. No, wait, I'm going to leave you so hard. Something like that. The pronghorn threw up his hands. It's late. I'm going to bed. Good idea. You need your rest. Martique pulled a packet of gum out of his pocket and tossed it on the table. Here, in case you need to warm up. Victor looked at it. Juicy fruit? Seriously? What are you, like 12? They don't make it in the only flavor I like, Martique winked. That stuff loses its flavor fast. Then it's just all about the chewing. You just made that up right now. Martique sprayed his paws. Jeffy at work gave it to me. I can't stand the stuff, so I've been carrying it around. But it worked, right? Victor laughed. Get out of here. I'll see you tomorrow. When Victor arrived at the party at five to seven, Martique greeted him in the living room, or the first living room anyway. The fuck curled his tongue around his lips before saying, You're late. You didn't start already, did you? Martique sipped something blue from a plastic martini glass. Only drinking. You still want to go through with this? I've been chewing juicy fruit all day. Victor grinned wide. All right. Meet back here at what? 1 a.m.? Victor looked around the enormous living room. A weasel in the corner waved to him. Hi, Callie, he called, and then winked at Martique. Six hours. I'm off for number one. Martique watched the pronghorn march over to the weasel, grinning. Silly fellow, he murmured to himself. Callie's got a girlfriend now. It really does pay to keep up with the current gossip. He set his drink down and strolled into the second living room, which was nearly as big as the first, where he'd seen a fox he knew would be first on his list. McMiniver's house had belonged to his parents, who'd made their money in textiles during the first wave of synthetics, 
smooth fabrics that didn't catch fire. From the front door, you could hear the muted engines of ships pushing from the ocean up the river to the port, occasionally lowing to each other as they passed. From the third story, you could see Rockingham Airport, planes constantly buzzing in and out like glowing mosquitoes. And in between, the mansion that covered nearly 10,000 square feet of prime real estate held four living rooms, an immense dining room, 10 to 13 bedrooms, depending on whether the various dens and TV rooms had the spare beds folded out, seven bathrooms, and four permanent playrooms. Mr. and Mrs. McMiniver, long since retired, spent their winters in the warmth of Chevalley now. Their son, a fixture of Cottage Hill almost since its establishment as the city's gay neighborhood, held a Christmas party at the mansion every year for his friends, and their friends, and anyone else who happened to hear about it and could wrangle a ride or two bucks for the train. And, as Martique and Victor knew, the parties were legendary for making full use of every available bedroom. The highlights of the party came when drunk couples, finding every bedroom full, got creative or uninhibited. Martique dragged the fox upstairs to his favorite of McMiniver's bedrooms, the one on the third floor that looked out over the ocean with the nautical prints and the life preserver on the wall. The plush royal blue carpet in this room was particularly easy on the knees. He spent an enjoyable ten minutes with his muzzle buried in the fox's groin, sliding his tongue around the other's cock and rubbing the nice canid knot, while downstairs the Christmas carols started with God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. McMiniver hadn't put in his CD yet. He realized that he hadn't clarified with Victor whether all their subjects had to come or not. In this case, it wasn't an issue. The fox was soon gripping the bed and clenching his teeth, moaning as he spurted warmth into Martique's muzzle. But as the evening wore on, more and more people would be drunk. Well, the issue was whether they wanted him to blow them again, not whether they were sober enough to finish. No, no, it's fine, he said when the fox politely offered to return the favor. Tell you what, though, is Ilky here? Tell him to come on up when he has a second and he licked his lips to erase any doubt of what he meant. The fox did indeed send the hedgehog up in short order, and while Martique was enjoying the short, stubby hedgehog cock, there was a knock at the door. "'Wait your turn,' he called out, imagining the line in the hall growing. He didn't allow that to affect his style, though. He gave Ilke his full attention, holding the hedgehog's legs down as his tongue played and his lips teased, and he finally felt the warm spurt of success in his throat. Contest or not, he had a reputation to maintain.' But he started to worry about Victor in the middle of his fourth blowjob, a Twinkie Panther in a fishnet vest whom he vaguely remembered from last year's party. So when the panther was done and trying to force Martique's pants down, Martique told him that he and the pronghorn were having a contest. "'Does it count if you do me twice?' the panther asked, slurring. "'Honey, I'd love to. I really would,' Martique said, "'whenever you're ready again. But why don't you go get a drink and then make your way back up here?' "'Right.' The panther winked at him and staggered out the door. Martique felt quite confident that he wouldn't see the panther again that night. Number 7, 9, 10, and 12 were old friends. Number 13 took half an hour, but Martique's pride forced him to keep working on the drunk, giggling ringtail until he finally got his climax. Next one I cut off in 20 minutes, he thought, watching the clock roll over to midnight. The ringtail staggered to his feet, pulling his pants up. He didn't fasten them so his sheath and cock were still sticking out, dripping as he wandered back into the hallway, past the bear who was already undoing his pants as he marched in. Typical McMinniver party, Martique thought, wishing he'd had the foresight to ask someone to bring him up a drink. He'd only had two before retreating to the room, and he was definitely feeling the lack of alcohol. Already had Victor, the bear announced, making the bed frame squeak as he sat down. He's pretty good. Just you wait, Martique said. The bear was already hard. 
Downstairs, he heard his CD start up, and the strains of the Coxton twins singing Jingle All the Way gave him the energy to keep going. He licked his lips and went to work. It took a while to get the bear off, but Martique ended up with a mouthful. Fourteen for fourteen, drunk or not, he thought with some satisfaction. As he was licking his lips, he said, So? The bear grinned. You made it last longer, but maybe that's because you were number two. So who was better? The bear shrugged. You were a little better, I guess. I don't know. Never had a bad blowjob. The bear wasn't the only one who'd already had Victor. So were numbers 15 and 16, both coyotes who wanted to watch each other get blown. Martique put on a show, keeping an eye on the clock, which was creeping towards the deadline. When the second coyote had shot his load, and the first was hard again, holding himself in his paw, tongue lolling as he watched, they told Martique how much better he was, promised a return favor, and left quickly, leaving the fox alone at five to one. His muzzle tingled. He stretched, working cramps out of his knees and thighs. Sixteen was a personal record for him, far beyond his previous of six. He was sure it had blown Victor out of the water. But when Victor told him how many he'd done, he wouldn't shame him with the larger number. He'd add one or two to Victor's total, maybe. After all, it was Christmas. Downstairs, the party was still going strong. They were singing, I'll Be Homo for Christmas, still off his CD, one of McMiniver's favorites. Martique couldn't help hearing the original, though, and it made him nostalgic as he descended the stairs. Maybe he'd tell Victor to forget about the contest altogether, and they could just enjoy the rest of the party, because when Victor lost, he was sure to sulk. The pronghorn was singing with a small group in the second living room. When they saw Martique, they cheered and burst into a round of Santa Paws is coming in your mouth. You better not chew, you better not cry, you better not bite, I'm telling you why. They sang it for me too, Victor said at Martique's rolled eyes. He seemed quite cheerful. Martique grabbed an eggnog and downed it fast, feeling the chill of the cream with the warmth of the rum. He poured another to sip from as he ran his eyes over the group. The bear and the panther waved at him, the latter now barely able to stand. Hope they all had a nice party, he said. Shall we settle this? Come on, Marty, the panther said. That's, that's funny. Do my standards of humor degrade this far when I'm drunk? Martique asked Victor. The pronghorn half smiled. Let's see if we can find an empty bedroom. They couldn't, but there didn't seem to be anyone in the second floor playroom. What's up your butt? Victor asked. Nothing, Martique said, and perhaps that's the problem. Victor grinned. You asking? Darling, Martique said, if I were asking, your pants would be on the floor already. He plopped into the corner of a cushy love seat, took another gulp of his eggnog. So did you set a personal record with your number tonight? By a bundle, Victor sat near him on the love seat. But you go first. Oh, let's see who we both did. The rum was starting to work. The bear, the coyotes... The hedgehog? Ilky? Really? I will have to have a talk with him. He said he liked me better. Victor looked very smug. He's a hedgehog. They're almost as bad as weasels when it comes to judging sex. Anyway, the bear liked me better. Well, the panther in the fishnet said I had excellent tongue technique. Victor stuck his tongue out. He told me the same thing. Martique grinned. Put that away unless you intend to use it. Hmm... Victor arched an eyebrow, but retracted his tongue. So that's five each. Who else? Martique doled out the names, expecting Victor to keep pace with him up to about eight, impressed when the pronghorn matched him up to eleven, surprised at fourteen, and shocked when Victor matched Martique's sixteenth with the name of their host. You D, 
did McMiniver? I figured I owed him for the party. Victor looked anxious. You got any more? Martique shook his head. If you had any more than that, you deserve to win. My hat is off to you. What about your pants? The fox grinned, draining his eggnog. If you sunked off seventeen guys tonight, you may fuck me. Victor's face fell. Damn it. You got sixteen? Victor nodded. Martique laughed. I might almost think they'd planned this. So it's a tie? No, darling, Martique said. That would be if I fucked you. You can do that if you want. Martique set down his glass and drew his legs up, sitting cross-legged in the corner. How much have you had to drink? Victor shrugged. Not that much. Enough, I guess. So what now? Well, Martique said, I suppose there's only one way left to settle this. He leaned forward and pushed the pronghorn's shoulders to the side. Victor made a surprised noise, but let Martique push him over until he was lying on his side on the love seat. Are you... Victor's question trailed off as Martique flipped himself around, head to Victor's groin. Are you... Victor's question trailed off as Martique flipped himself around, head to Victor's groin. He brought his paws up to undo the pronghorn's pants. Wasting valuable sucking time, he said, sliding a paw inside the fabric to find a rather swollen member there. Though it looks like we won't need much of it. Not on this end. Nor on this end, Victor said, his paws finding Martique's arousal through his pants. How long's it been since we did this? Oof. Martique slid his fingers along Victor's cock. It was before you were dating Shannon. I guess you didn't find him tonight? Victor's hand paused. He came by. I didn't blow him. Martique lapped gently at the other's shaft, tasting the sticky tip. Why not? Victor freed the fox's cock, running a finger along it, his breath warm and moist on the skin. I don't know. It's Christmas and all. What's that got to do with it? It's okay to blow strangers, but not your ex? Martique slid his lips over Victor's tip, draping one arm against the pronghorn's hip to feel his shivers. Mm. Victor brushed the soft fur of his muzzle up and down Martique's shaft. Spirit of giving, but with Shannon it'd feel like... like I was trying to start things up again. Martique pulled his muzzle free long enough to say, That's what I was trying to tell you, sweets. I know. I didn't feel it before now, though. Victor ended that sentence with a lick, then added another. I'm sure nobody's yet written a poem about Christmas blowjobs, Martique murmured without letting Victor's hardness slip completely out of his muzzle. It'd go over fabulously down at your coffee shop. Victor giggled softly, starting to pant. Will you come see me read it? Honey, Martique said, I'll kneel down in the front row. Victor didn't respond, except by taking Martique all the way into his muzzle and wrapping his paws around the fox's rear. Martique closed his eyes and pulled the pronghorn into his mouth, rubbing his tongue along the shaft, tail wagging slowly as he tasted the musk. By now the motions were rote, though the shaft was different, sliding up and down, curls of the tongue, rubbing until he found the spot that made the recipient's hips shiver. In this case, though, it was Victor, so he knew what the pronghorn liked, at least in theory. It wasn't too long before his theory was borne out, the pronghorn shuddering against his muzzle. At the same time, Martique had to admit he was impressed at how much better Victor was than he'd been the last time they'd played around. Last time he'd had to give the pronghorn some help, but whether it was the rum, or the fact that he'd blown sixteen guys without getting off himself, or, just possibly, Victor's tongue and lips, he found it difficult to control his own hips. 
Each little stroke and movement of the pronghorn's muzzle sent ever-increasing shivers through him. Damn, he thought, I'm going to come, and if I'm not careful... He redoubled his own efforts, sliding his paw around behind the pronghorn's balls, cupping them warmly. His initial idea to 69 with Victor had mostly been the quickest, most socially acceptable way to get himself off after an evening of pleasure in others. He certainly hadn't expected his muzzle to be enjoying it nearly as much as his sheath, nor for his whole body to be tingling the way it was. He was giddy, in a way he hadn't felt in years, not since he was a skinny teenager sucking off his reluctant gym teacher in the coach's office. Then he'd been all full of the novelty of it, the danger of discovery, the sheer naughtiness of sucking off a teacher. Now it was something different, something unexpected. Since that gym teacher, Martique had had his muzzle around, at a conservative estimate, a hundred or so different sheaths, and he knew the intricacies of blowjobs well. What was most arousing and fur-tingling about Victor's attentions to him was the familiarity and the care with which the pronghorn went about it. It wasn't anything he could have pinpointed from a technique perspective, but he could definitely tell that Victor not only wanted to impress him, he wanted to have Martique come in his muzzle, was eager for that spray of fox on his tongue. Martique, in his turn, found himself lapping still more eagerly at Victor, the pronghorn's musk reinforcing his faint memory of what Victor tasted like. His body squirmed against Victor's, he heard himself making soft whining noises through his nose, and his tail twitched against the sofa. Victor, though hard, wasn't close, not as close as Martique realized he was. He whimpered more loudly, pressing his foot against the sofa cushion, and tried to focus on the shaft in his muzzle to distract himself, but it wasn't any use, not now. He gasped, squeezing Victor's hips as he forced the pronghorn shaft all the way into his muzzle, rubbing with the base of his tongue along the tip. His body's shudders kept forcing louder and louder moans out of him until he jerked against Victor's mouth and felt the bright, hot waves of climax roll through his hips. He emptied his seat onto Victor's tongue, heard the pronghorn's satisfied grunt mingled with his own gasps of pleasure, and whined softly as the pleasure lingered and, slowly, began to fade. It took him several seconds to regain his composure enough to finish the job on Victor, which proved to be a matter of minutes. The pronghorn had clearly been holding back to finish last. Martique squeezed him, listening to the ever more intense moans as well as feeling them around his shaft, and he was ready when Victor exhaled sharply and then thrust hard into his muzzle, spraying the back of his throat with seed. They held each other afterwards, slowly releasing each other's cocks. Victor propped himself up on his elbow, looking rather smug. Martique sat all the way up on the couch, leaning back against Victor's waist. Well, Victor said, I guess we know. Mm. Before he could finish, Martique leaned over to kiss him full on the mouth. Victor's eyes widened in surprise, but he didn't pull away. He turned his muzzle slightly to meet Martique's. Then his hand settled on the fox's back, pulling him closer. Martique teased Victor's lips with his tongue, felt the pronghorn's tongue slide out to meet his. The kiss deepened. Martique tasted himself in the pronghorn's mouth, but that was only part of the sensations that were jockeying for supremacy in him. He reached up a claw to brush the pronghorn's horn, then traced down along the back of his head and his neck. Sighing, he sat up. Victor's brown eyes looked up, wide but smiling. Martique waited for him to comment on the kiss, but he just said, I taste good. The taste of victory. Congratulations, Martique said, trying not to let his disappointment at Victor's failure to be as moved as he was by the blowjob and the subsequent kiss become too obvious. You win. Victor looked away. You were pretty good, too. Even with my sharp teeth? Martique leaned back and looked around the playroom, casting around for something else to talk about. I'd like the kiss. 
Martique turned back. Victor was still looking away, down at the floor. Then that means I'm doing that right. I mean... In the hesitation, Martique's ears slowly came up. Victor didn't look at him until Martique put a paw across the pronghorn's wet sheath. What? The fox met Victor's eyes with his most encouraging smile. Something was different about it. We've never kissed with each other's cum in our mouths before. Yeah. Victor's smile was still uncertain. Was that all? Martique squeezed. Victor jumped slightly, his smile wider. No, not for me. Me neither. Victor looked at the ceiling. Is there mistletoe? Maybe upstairs. McMiniver usually puts it in all the bedrooms. He thinks it's cute. Not the playrooms? Martique rubbed gently, enjoying the feel of the pronghorn's cock under his paw. We got along just fine without it. What happened there? Why didn't we ever... Oh, honey, Martique said. Let's not ask questions. I'm just happy you felt the same thing. It's a Christmas miracle, Victor laughed. Sucking off 17 people in a night without throwing up is a Christmas miracle, Martique said. This is just good timing. Yeah, so how about we call it a tie? Martique laughed. I told you, you win. Victor slid a hand down to Martique's sheath and held it. His smile widened. That's not what I meant. Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. So I'm going to read for you a Christmas story that I wrote about three years ago. And a little bit of history is I actually wrote this story for a Christmas party. And then I read it at the Christmas party while I was very, very drunk. And the combination of the story itself and my particular method of delivering it was apparently a big hit. Or at least that's what people tell me. I honestly don't remember too much after what that happened. Um, if you know my story, The Fox with the Broken Sex Drive, this story is set in that sort of same whimsical fairy tale universe. And uh, it's a little bit of lighthearted uh, Christmas cheer for you all. Nikki's Naughty List by Cam Hirasaki. Nikki sighed and flattened his ears back in consternation. He'd had difficulty trying to keep things straight in his head, and so he'd thought that if he physically wrote his list down, he'd be able to get the math to work out. After two hours of checking, cross-referencing, and resisting the urge to fudge the numbers, however, the results remained the same. Nikki had no choice but to face the conclusion. He was a very naughty fox. With Christmas only two weeks away, Nikki had reason to be nervous. If he couldn't change the facts, the best he could do was to apply himself towards the nice end of the spectrum to see if he couldn't tip the balance back in his favor by Christmas Eve. The problem was that finals took up all the following week at the Canid College, and working hard to do well on his exams and keep his scholarship didn't really count as nice as much as it was just something he was expected to do anyway. It wasn't like he was trying to be a naughty fox. He hadn't had a problem at all when Christmas came around his freshman year, or any other year before that, for that matter. Even this past year, things had been going fine until May, when he'd accidentally let himself get drunk enough to kiss Jeremy Hockenfield at Wolf Dorm's end-of-year party. Even that was only slightly naughty, but it did mark the point where things went, well, downhill. 
the summer had been a little bit more naughty, Nicky had to concede. He hadn't originally attributed too high a naughtiness factor to his two summer flings, until he considered that they'd both been going on at the same time, and that probably made them worth more. He'd at least had the decency not to keep anything going once fall semester of sophomore year began, but now that he was back to living in the dorms, well, college was one of those places where people were adventurous and free-thinking and open and liberal and sometimes very liberal when it came to their life philosophies, and what sort of fox was Nicky to try and deny somebody an integral part of the collegiate experience? By the time mid-September rolled around, the fox had realized that he was beginning to slip a little on the naughty-nice scales. So he'd made a point to go out of his way to be a good fox, a nice fox. He'd signed up to be the equipment manager for the football team, and while the coach had to agree, after Nicky's brief two-week stint, that the fox was quite enthusiastic when it came to thoroughly inspecting the player's equipment, he wasn't really helping them win any games, and so Nicky had to be let go. After that, he'd gone to help out with the GLBT Student Alliance, too. Of course, their office was tucked away in a back corner of the basement floor of the student union, and the only folks who ever wandered that way were students of a like persuasion, and, well, the whole point of the alliance was so that young people could meet folks that they could be comfortable with, and Nikki was just very, very comfortable. Wasn't that nice? Nikki didn't even try to pretend that he didn't deserve negative marks for his participation in the drama club. Oh, there had been drama, all right. The bulk of what Nikki learned about acting boiled down to determining that some people were better at pretending that they had off-campus girlfriends than others. Well, except for the one wolf who actually did have a girlfriend. She hadn't been too happy when she dropped by to say hi after rehearsal. Giving his list another look over, Nikki buried his face into his paws. He'd been far, far too naughty a fox to possibly swing things back into his favor with only two weeks to go. Even if he could think of something so overwhelmingly nice to do, the time commitments necessary would probably cause him to fail all of his finals, and that would just compound the whole naughtiness problem all over again. His frustration finally built up to the point where he let out a shameful whine and let his head fall and thump against the desk. Yo, man, you okay? Nicky's roommate, a gray fox named Corbin, poked his head around the corner. Nicky lifted his head up off the desk. No, he pouted. I'm pretty much a lock for the naughty list this year, it looks. So unless you want to help me cure cancer sometime by next weekend, I guess Santa's going to skip over me. Corbin patted back around Nikki's desk. Hey, come on, you can't be that bad off, the gray fox said, patting the red fox on the shoulder. I mean, it's like... Wait, hold on, what did you say? I said I'm probably going to end up on the naughty list, and Santa's going to... Dude, you're a sophomore in college. Right? What's that got to do with anything? You still believe in Santa? Nicky bit his lower lip. Uh, well... He folded his ears back to hide the deep blush that was now rushing into them. No, I mean, just, you know, metaphorically and all. Like, karma. I just feel like I haven't been, uh, nice enough. And so you wrote a list, Corbin asked. He leaned over to sneak a look at it. Nicky tried to cover it up with his arms, but Corbin's eyes had already widened. Whoa, hey, I didn't know you were into that sort of thing. Nicky's paws quickly scrabbled about, and he gathered up the sheets of paper upon which he'd listed his deeds and his misdeeds. Eh, look, I'm just being silly, all right, he murmured, wishing fervently that hitting his roommate upside the head hard enough to cause loss of consciousness didn't also constitute naughty. Nah, because, seriously, if you're cool with that sort of thing, I'd wish you'd just told me a little earlier, that's all. 
Corbin added, brushing his fingers a little too affectionately along the rim of Nikki's ear. Oh, the red fox said. His deep blush remained, but he didn't try to shy away this time. Oh, uh, I mean... Come on, just put this stuff away, Corbin said, flicking his tail against the side of Nikki's chair. If you're not going to spend the time studying, you may as well do something fun. He slipped back around the corner then, and said nothing further. Nicky looked down at his desk covered in papers. Well, okay. If he was stuck on the naughty list no matter what he did, it didn't matter if the naughty column got a little longer. He tucked his list into the top drawer of his desk, and then got out a fresh bundle of paper, so that in the morning, he could start on writing a letter to Santa in order to explain himself. Maybe the North Pole had an extenuating circumstances clause. Up at the North Pole, with only four days to go until Christmas Eve, the busy little coyote elves were really feeling the heat of the deadline. Sure, they got most of the year off, but when it came down to the busy season, they more than made up for lost time. Tad had always dreamed of being one of the coyote elves picked to work in Santa's workshop. What he didn't know back then was that the majority of the coyote elves, and certainly the first-timers, ended up in clerical positions. After all, with all the millions upon millions of letters sent up north, it wasn't possible for Santa to read them all personally, and so there was a vast network in place with the sole purpose of handling the logistics of bulk mail. Like most of the coyote elves in mail handling subsection C2, Tad's job was to go through the letters in his inbox and to mark down who wanted what this year, along with adding a mark to a checkbox indicating whether they deserved it or not. Only the most high-ranking of the coyote elves got the sweet jobs, like actually getting the goods together or helping to load the sleigh. All Tad got was eye-strained from having to read letter after letter about kids wanting mountain bikes and girls wanting ponies. With such monotony, even something slightly different stood out, and when Tad opened up his next letter, he was a bit dumbfounded by what he saw. Um, so like, he called out to his fellow coyote elves, what do we do when we get a letter from someone who admits they're naughty? The hustle and bustle within mail handling subsection C2 got noticeably quieter. Evan, Tad's supervisor, lifted his head up from the administrator's desk, he'd been napping of course, and asked, Well, who's it from? What's it say? Someone named Nicholas Carver, Tad replied, looking at the heading on the letter. It says, Dear Santa, I'm sure you probably know this already, but I've been a very naughty fox this year. Back in May, I... The coyote elf's voice trailed off as his eyes wandered ahead down the page. Oh my, he has been a naughty fox, it looks. Evan started to ring the little bell he had on his desk. Hear that, folks? He called out. Tad here's got another naughty fox letter. This was met by some rather enthusiastic whistling and the clapping of paws. Tad looked down at the letter in his paws, almost afraid to touch it now. Uh, so, like, what do I do with it? He asked. Evan pointed over Tad's shoulder. File it into the naughty fox pile, he said. His finger indicated a drop slot below naughty, marked NF. Tad had always thought the letter stood for not found, like if the name on somebody's letter didn't match any on record. Okay, and then what? Tad asked. Just mark them down as nice and keep moving. We've got mail to clear through here. But he said in his own letter that he was naughty, Tad said, confused. Evan just grinned. Yes, but sending us a letter telling us just how naughty he's been? That's mighty nice of him, wouldn't you say? I guess, Tad said. At that, Evan clicked his tongue, shook his head, and clapped a paw on his subordinate shoulder. 
Trust me, kid, he said. Come December 26th, want this time to kick off your shoes and relax? There's not going to be anything to help you unwind better than some peace and quiet and a couple of those naughty fox letters. Tad wasn't entirely convinced, but as he skimmed further down the letter, he found his tail wagging a bit faster. Evan clicked his tongue again. Uh-uh, don't read it now, kid, or you'll never get any work done. He tucked it out of Tad's grip and set it back down on the bench. File it away and move on to the rest of your pile. Chop-chop, folks. He clapped his paws together sharply and trotted back to his desk. And so Christmas came and went, and Nicky found that, despite having been a very naughty little fox indeed, Santa didn't pass up his house after all. He got all the things he wanted, he got good grades on all his final exams, and he even managed to sneak in a little end-of-the-year naughtiness while he was at it. Perhaps, he thought, thinking about the deeply apologetic letter he'd sent up north, honesty really was the best policy after all. Hopefully, he'd be a better fox in the upcoming year, but if he ended up being too naughty for his own good again, he at least knew that as long as he came clean and didn't try to hide anything, he could still have a Merry Christmas after all. <laughs>